Welcome to Unbooking the Tankatory, the bonus episode from Unbooking the Territory, where we look at the in-ring career of Tank Abbott. This week, it's the final one-man's meet takeover. Welcome to Tank Talks. <laughs> So how was 2023 treating you, Danny? Really good, mate. Uh, can't complain. Um, how about yourself, mate? Well, so far so good, pal, and a happy one-year, one-man's metaversary to you. Same to you, mate. That's crazy. We just said just before we started recording, this is the exact date that we uh, actually got together and recorded, um, or tried to record, Legends and Icons, JCW, wasn't it? That's right, mate. Yes, that episode met many a pitfall, but we got there in the end. <laughs> and uh, yes, folks, we are once again hijacking the Unbooking the Tankatory show, but only for this one last episode. Tank Abbott is actually going to be getting back in the ring for a bit, so Daddy Rob and Daddy Dan will be taking their reins back for a little while. But Danny, we will be back sooner than you think, so I reckon that we need to crack on and bring one man's meat back properly once we've finished this show, hadn't we? 100% mate, we've got some great ideas lined up, so I can't wait to get into that. Yes indeed folks, and first of all, our NWO in WWE episode should be with you soon, depending on my shift patterns and Danny's insane recording schedule. We're also going to be talking about the 1994 classic Candyman for Disgusting Offal. But we're not here to talk about that today Danny, so why don't you tell the Sherman Tankers what we are going to be discussing today. Yep, so today we're going to be looking at um, WCW Nitro from July the 10th, 2000, and it is the post Bash of the Beach episode of Nitro, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, mate, so did I, and it is good that we are back on the airshow business, and we have much to discuss. So as you'll know, mate, uh, you know, Tank Abbott was doing a lot of... Well, I wonder which member of Tank's extended family that might be at the door, mate. Shall I go find out? Oh, yes, please, mate. Yeah. No problem. Up we get. <coughs> oh, hello. I wasn't expecting you. Um, come in. Danny, it's not Hank Abbott at all. It's Stu Hart. Oh, wow. Oh, talk about a blast from the past. I know. A definite blast from the past. I mean, he's he's dead, which makes this in interaction all the more confusing. Um, hello, Stu. Where's Hank? Uh, if you mean the guy who's pacing at your door and screaming, uh, uh, I stretched him. Sorry, Stu. You you stretched him. I stretched him. You wanted to try me, so so I stretched him. Oh, um, well, well, thanks, Stu. Um, he obviously didn't know who he was messing with. Do you know who you're messing with, Sonny? Do you want to try me? Um, no, Stu, I, I wasn't insinuating that at all. Does does he want to try me? Um, Danny, do you uh, want to try him? 
Absolutely not, mate. I've heard the stories about the dungeon, and I'm 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 gonna decline. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, okay, young man, keep it that way. My my son was Brett the Hitman Hurt. My other son was Owen Hurt. My son-in-law was uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, the big guy. And my other son-in-law was Davy, the the big bulldog guy. That's nice, Stu. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the family tree there. Yeah, you got any eggs? Um, uh, uh, yes, Stu. The the eggs are in the kitchen, same as everybody else's. Okay, um, uh, 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 I'm gonna make some eggs. Um, all right, sir. You have some fun. You crack on, mate. Say hello to the cats for me. All right, Danny. I, I, I think he's gone, but um, I, I do hope Hank's all right. Yeah, same, mate. I wonder how his Christmas went. Well, um, judging by what Stu Hart's done to him, I, I, I can't think it went too well, do you? No. <laughs> well, never mind. Uh, let, let's get back to business. So, mate, we are on a UTT property. So for the last time in a little while, what are you drinking? Uh, tonight, I'm just sticking to regular Coke, just in a little mini can uh, that I got from Asda, five for two pounds. So that's not too oh, bad. Well, <laughs> How about <why> yourself? <laughs> well, mate, um, it's the start of a new year. And like a lot of people that make crazy promises that they can't keep, I'm trying to cut back on my alcohol intake for a little bit. So while I'm having the odd one or two, uh, tonight is a school night. So I'm treating myself to a Guinness not percent draft. It looks and tastes just like the real thing. Brilliant, mate. That sounds good. And it tastes good as well, pal. So, uh, yeah, I've got that to enjoy for the duration of this recording. Excellent. Well, Danny Boy, the July 10th broadcast of WCW Nitro emanated from the Jacksonville Coliseum in Jacksonville, Florida. I wonder if new WWE owner Tony Khan was in the crowd. I knew that was coming, but it still made me laugh. I've got no idea what you're talking about, mate. Uh, I mean, this show is available on the AEW network, and the blurb goes as follows. Rainbows, unicorns, hugs and multicoloured flags. Cans of hard seltzer are shared, and we all hate each other. Oh, <laughs> sorry, mate, wrong blurb. Um, it actually goes like this. Booker T begins his reign as WCW champion by defending the gold against Mike Awesome. Meanwhile, WCW Commissioner Ernest the Cat Miller makes a Four Corners match main event to see who will be Booker's next challenger. Plus, Crowbar takes on Shane Douglas, Jeff Jarrett faces Billy Kidman, and as always, and much more, because they can't fit enough into that little box. I really don't blame them. I mean, there was so much going on, wasn't there? There was so much going on, uh, but it all sounds banging. But we do need to talk about the elephant in the room. We have a new WCW champion. And guys, we will take an extended look at the 2000 Bash at the Beach at some point in the next three years. But Tank wasn't a part of it, so we decided to give it a miss for now. But what do you make of Booker T winning the belt, pal? night at Bash at the Beach, Booker T realized a lifelong dream when he defeated Jeff Jarrett to become the new WCW World's Champion. It was a victory filled with not only surprise and emotion, but one that many say was long overdue. 
Booker T's dream of becoming the WCW champion had its roots during his upbringing in Houston's tough neighborhoods. Following a difficult period at age 14, when the pressures of the streets nearly destroyed his future, it was the strength of older brother Stevie Ray that led Booker down the right path and a career in WCW. Known as Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray debuted in 1992 and quickly became the most dominant combination in the history of sports entertainment, claiming an unprecedented 10 championship reigns. In the years that followed, Booker T also became an established single superstar, attaining six television championships. Behind the scenes, the gifted athlete also emerged as a true leader, earning the respect of not only his fellow competitors, but millions of fans around the world. It quickly became apparent that it wasn't a question of if, but when Booker T would finally capture the one prize that had eluded him during his career. At Bash at the Beach, he finally achieved it. Tonight, after years of determination, dedication, and perseverance, he can begin living his dream. I really love this video package. It's, um, it was uh, combined with the music and everything like that, the, the cutscenes, is really, really well done. And I love the fact that um, we're looking at this 20 plus years um, past it. And it's like, yeah, this was definitely one of WW's best um, booking decisions in 2000. Yes, buddy, it certainly was. So instead of our normal quick fire recap, um, what we get, what Danny was alluding to, is this wonderful kind of retrospective look at Booker T's career uh, while still focusing on the intrigue and emotion of his big win. And uh, I thought it was a nice touch as well, mate. Yeah, I mean, it's something I would expect from WWE, but um, WWE hmm. had it at this time. So it was really, really good with the little video package. And um, it's just like you can invest in Booker T because if you're a long time WWE watcher, um, you've seen Booker T for years, I think eight years at that point. Yeah, you have. And I know there's people that do denigrate WCW for saying that, you know, they bought their big stars and they weren't ones for building people up. But I often found with WCW, and I think it still holds true now, is that if they were really invested in somebody, if somebody was prepared to put the work in, like your Diamond Dallas Pages of this world, and indeed Booker T here, They'd at least take a chance on you, I think. Yeah, 100%, mate. Maybe even Buff Bagwell. Well, exactly. Well, kind of. You'll you'll get yeah. to that in your watching of Nitro Nights, trust me. There's a, a very specific point where they drop the ball with him and uh, they never seem to get that back. But I'm not going to give away too much because, as I always say, if I say too much, Uncle Si will kick my head in. <laughs> but Booker T does open the show in the ring. And I wonder if we're going to get a reboot, Danny, of how WCW treat their main champion, given that Double J was essentially treated like a mid-card joke. Yeah, um, that's what I feared when uh, this segment happened. It was like, oh, please don't let any uh, silly stuff happen in this. But um, this whole segment, to me, was brilliant because uh, it had the history with um, Stevie Ray coming out and everything like that, mm. and his wife there. And it really did feel... It kind of felt like a new WCW compared to uh, last week's where we reviewed. Yeah, it was. And I think the commentary do an absolutely bang up job here as well. Um, 
you know, they run down the events leading to Booker's win at the Bash. And again, they're playing up the fact that he's won this title through sheer hard work compared to the previous champion's perceived sense of privilege. So it was all very clever in the run-up to him coming out, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. Um, One thing uh, I did actually write down a question for you is, why don't you think Booker T ever said, don't hate the player, hate the game in WWE? I honestly don't know, because at the height of his initial heel run in 2001, early 2002, that would have been an excellent little catchphrase to go by, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm shocked that they didn't pick that up. I mean, that died in WCW, I guess. It did. Uh, I mean, I know, I'm sure there'll be some smart Alex uh, out there that would say that it was because Triple H was in the company, but uh, I don't even think they would have made that much of a fuss of it. Like you say, I think it's something that just got lost in the ether. Yeah, definitely, mate. But did you enjoy this segment, mate? I did enjoy this segment, and the thing that I enjoyed the most is the fact that Booker T comes out in what looks like a lovely pair of pyjamas, doesn't he? He did. Um, There was something I remember David Penzer saying on Twitter um, not that long ago. He said that he called Booker T before Bash to the Beach and said, bring a suit to the next arena. And I was thinking, of all the suits, he actually brought this. But it did actually look good. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's weird. (laughs) It was weird, but uh, alongside it, Booker does cut a lovely working class hero promo. Uh, you know, the whole hard work pays off kind of thing. And with a character like Booker, it sounds genuine, doesn't it? So, mm. um, yeah, it, good good promo to start the show. And as you say, um, I, I loved the fact that Stevie Ray comes in and they kind of reconcile from their previous feud. And of course, we get a cameo from Charmel version one, don't we? <laughs> Levestia, um, which I've never ah. heard that name in my entire life. But yeah, that's a oh. good way of putting it, is Charmel version one. But um, yeah, 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 she came out. She seemed very happy as well. Uh, I think uh, the announcers played off a little bit too heavy on when Stevie Ray came out. It was like, oh, is he going to attack him? Is he going to attack him? It, they telegraphed him not attacking him for me. Yeah, which is a lot of what happened in the late. 90s and uh, early 2000s you could kind of gather that if the commentary said one thing the opposite was going to happen more often than not couldn't you bang on mate yeah 100 percent. yeah but i loved it to be honest it was um a good opening promo i mean you could argue either way whether it was too much or just right but i think after the way the last champion was treated i think this is a nice little bit of of a, of a reset button here personally yeah Definitely, mate. I mean, the only thing I had a problem with in the segment was out of nowhere, Booker T uh, calls Goldberg a mark. It did seem a bit weird, didn't it? Like, uh, it's it's not so bad if kind of things had happened between the two of them and they were then going to gear up for him to be the next challenger. But it does seem to just come out of nowhere, doesn't it? Totally out of left field. Yeah. Hmm. Also talking of coming out of left field, we hear the sounds of sirens and Medeja comes out to spoil the party on behalf of the now evil Scott Steiner. So the second coming of Stone Cold Steve Austin isn't going to happen. Ah, I mean, who knew? (laughs) But yeah, Medeja had a mouth on her, didn't she? Oh, she certainly did. Yeah, wash that mouth out with soap. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, straight after that, Scott Steiner appears and attacks Booker T and Stevie Ray, takes both of them out. And I mean, it's a good little uh, story because it's like, OK, we're setting up Scott Steiner to be the next challenger. But it was like um, 
I mean, it's no, you know, when uh, WWE used to have like Eddie Guerrero come out after he won the championship or Raymond Steele and they had this big celebration and everything was happy. So this was kind of like more realistic of like Scott Steiner's now Booker T's the target. Yeah, it was really. I, I kind of liked the foreshadowing throughout this episode, actually, where there were kind of several challenges out there to face Booker and every single one of them made sense in a way. So, you know, they want to carry on the or at least one of them to make it look like they want to carry on the Booker T and Canyon feud. You've got Scott Steiner that's now uh, even more angry and even more PO'd, uh, and it's kind of the one title that he hasn't won yet. And then, of course, you've got Goldberg, who, you know, towards the end of this episode, I get the feeling that they realise that this uh, heel experiment has failed, and they're trying to kind of press the reset button on him as well. So there's a lot going on around this, isn't there? There really is, mate. I mean, what, um, that's what we're going to get into today. I mean, what will happen? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, mate, uh, to finish off on this opener, I know a lot has happened if you've missed Bash at the Beach, but this is the Scott Steiner that I know and love. Um, the guy was ne- never supposed to be a babyface looking like that at all, was he? No, absolutely not. He's always done his best, um, his best work as a heel, always. He has, but the one person that didn't love it very much was Booker T himself, as we cut to him now backstage magically, and he promises to take care of business, which sounds ominous. Yeah, I wonder what he means. (laughs) Indeed, what does he mean? And talking of backstage, former mid-card world champion Jeff Jarrett is backstage with blonde slapnut Pamela Paulshock. This... um... I've gone aside. No, no, I didn't like this, but Jeff Jarrett was the world champion last night, 24 hours before this. And now he's being attacked by Scott Steiner and just kind of, it's kind of how Funaki would get treated on SmackDown or something, just attacked because he's not important enough. So we're just going to attack him by the main mm. heel. I mean, I, I kind of liked it in a way because, again, it gets over the, the Scott Steiner character again as being yeah. a a little bit psychotic and it keeps him strong but yeah I mean I I can kind of get the point if it's Scott Steiner trying to eliminate his competition but it it just continues to make him look even more like a jerk old old Jeffy boy doesn't it yeah definitely and sadly the only other thing that uh, is making him a jerk is that in spite of the fact that he's due a rematch the cat has already booked a match for Booker T and it doesn't involve Jeffrey. Uh, and then, as we say, in his shock, Jeff failed to notice that Scott Steiner came up from behind to blast him into the stage set. Um, so I'm loving the idea that no one is safe, but it's just a shame that Jeff had to be the first victim, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. We then get our first match of the evening, which sees the franchise Shane Douglas come out to the ring with Tori Wilson to face Crowbar. Mate, and th- this episode is telling me that we need to get Bash at the Beach watched soon in order to get, you know, get caught up here. Hundred percent, mate. I mean, Shane Douglas at this time, he, well, any time really, he was always brilliant on a microphone. And yeah, I want to see um, Shane Douglas uh, versus Billy Kidman in a feud. Oh well, mate. Trust me, uh, you're probably not going to enjoy it when it comes along. Uh, but uh, Tori also does take the time to denigrate the size of Billy Kidman's knob. So do <laughs> prepare yourself for the famed Viagra on a pole match, mate, because it involves these two. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> 
But I do like that we're getting a return to a more ECW version of Shane Douglas, mate, with the female manager and, and the swagger. I mean, if they continue to build him up, I'm I'm all here for it if, if this is what we're getting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, first time I saw Shane Douglas was um, TNA, but mm. um, just, so to see him here, and it, like you can kind of say he's prime because it definitely is prime on the microphone. Um, it's really, really cool. Yeah, definitely. Like this is the Shane Douglas that you can get if he's given a a little bit of freedom to speak his mind. And I always felt uh, his mid nineties run in WWF. Looking at it now, obviously, it was a bit of a waste for somebody that I'd seen in ECW when I got older. I mean, at the time, I wasn't bothered by him at all. He just seemed like a a lower card heel. But when you then get to see Shane Douglas in in other companies, um, you know, they they, they dropped the ball with him. Um, regardless of any quote unquote backstage shenanigans, uh, yeah. you know, the the WWF had him in the company at least three times, and they yeah. didn't know what to do with him. No, absolutely not. But WCW did know what to do with him, and one of those things they knew what to do was to put him in a match with young Devon Storm himself, and it was a good match as well, wasn't it, mate? Some fun yeah. plunder, a good use of both Tori and Daphne, including the obligatory cat fight. I'm not screaming that out because the kids are in bed. And every time Crowbar got an advantage, Tori was there to thwart him. And despite a slingshot leg drop and a lion salt from Crowbar for two, Shane pops right up and grabs the franchiser for the pin. What did you think to the match, mate? I really enjoyed it. I, I've, I've said uh, in my notes, this was the best Crowbar match that I've seen because he was in total, he could display all his character in this. Mm. And uh, Daphne, having Daphne out there was brilliant as well. Um yeah, and then I actually didn't know Shane Douglas's finisher was called the franchiser, so I think that was really cool. Yeah, I think it was something new that it brought out at the pay-per-view, actually. It's kind of like a an odd little like rock-bottom style thing, wasn't it? But kind of you just stood stood on the spot. Uh, but yeah, it certainly looked cool. And yeah, the, the match was cool, uh, but Buff does come out at the end to get some revenge. And I hope that this is leading to a programme between these two still, because... Uh, I'm not quite ready for the Billy Kidman feud just yet, if I'm honest. <laughs> Definitely. We need more buff. We do need more buff, but we don't get any more just yet, as the blonde slapnut is now with Billy Kidman, who comes across as the jealous ex here, I think. Yeah, um, he did not really come across as a babyface to me when he's, he said, um, Tori Wilson is his sloppy seconds. I was thinking, that's more of a heel line, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, he, he comes across as a massive emo asshole here. And I, I do apologise to people that like the emo scene and all that sort of thing. You're all all right. But it's just, I mean, that he comes across as an asshole who listens to the likes of, oh, I don't know, Panic at the Disco or Angels and Airwaves or something. I don't, I don't keep up on those bands. No, neither. But yeah, he was definitely um, in a mood, you could say. <laughs> He was in a mood. Uh, but Jeff Jarrett seemed to agree with um, old Billy's assessment as well, uh, although he, he shoves him out of the way to continue his previous promo. And then this time, Jeff gets hit from behind by Billy. So he's not having any luck at all, is he? No, it's definitely not his night 24 hours after um, losing his championship. He's, he's just in a, a brawl here. But yeah, I, I thought the brawl looked good between the two. It was a good brawl, actually, yeah, uh, and 
it just made me want to look forward to a match between these two, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we can have anything like that, we finally get our weekly Ice Train segment. And he's brought a friend with him, hasn't he? He certainly has. He's brought our hero with him, Tank. That's right. The main event, the legend, the icon. It's Tank Abbott looking resplendent in a tuxedo and basketball shorts. And three counts are also looking lovely, aren't they? They really are. And nobody can pull off a tuxedo and basketball shorts like Tank can. Absolutely not. And nobody should try because they're just not going to win. But these guys are winners as they're on their way to the building to show off their new gold record. What I love is Mark Madden's line when he said, Tank Sinatra. (laughs) Yeah, I must admit, it's been nice that he hasn't actually sang yet. Uh, Let's let's just stick to the dancing. Although I think he does try on a future episode and we might be there for it. I look forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) If you say so. Uh, But, mate... After last week's episode of Nitro, where he was seemingly all over it, it has taken 24 minutes and 30 seconds to finally get our first Ernest Miller sighting of the evening, as Jeff Jarrett bursts into his office, demanding justice. Yes, he certainly did. He was so angry. So, And he kind of got it because the cat booked him versus Jeff Jarrett versus Kidman for tonight. But like you said, um, the cat involved in 11 uh, segments last week so we're nearly a quarter of way into the show and yeah here he is he's got some catching up to do hasn't he yeah definitely i worry about the rest of the episode <laughs> <laughs> and talking of ernest miller mate uh, daddy dan cover your ears did you know that one man's meat can apparently predict the future danny no i did not how so Well, mate, after our chat on the last episode about how it was a shame that Ernest the Cat Miller wasn't being used in modern wrestling, he's now part of the Director of Authority team for Impact Wrestling. Really? Genuinely. On a future episode of Impact, to be honest, it might have actually broadcast by the time you hear this, Ernest Miller is working with Santino Morella as co-directors of Authority. Oh, wow, that's just blowing my mind. I just thought it was Santino Morella. Wow. Yeah, it was him initially, but then the TV tapings after Hard to Kill, Ernest Miller does make an appearance and makes a match. Oh, that is cool. I definitely am going to check that out, or I might have already checked that out, depending on when this is. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. I mean, I am in two minds. As much as I love horror movies, to actually cancel my Shudder subscription and uh, become an Impact Insider so that I can watch Impact every week. Definitely. I mean, you know they're going to have some uh, hilarious backstage segments. So, yeah, I mean, I hope so. look, look forward to that. Yeah, I mean, I know my uh, my hero, my lord and my master, Jim Cornette, doesn't like Santino Morella very much. But then I, I never had to book him for a wrestling promotion. And I actually think he's funny. But, you know... You can like both things, kids. You don't have to pick a side. Very true, mate. And Santino, whether you like him or not, you can't deny his commitment to the gimmick. Absolutely. And that's the thing. Uh, We love people that do commit to these sorts of things. And talking of commitment to things that you may not necessarily think someone would do well, we are only 25 minutes in, but we get our highlight of the night as Tank Abbott and Three Count make their way out. 
So add Jeff Jarrett against Billy Kidman tonight. And let's not forget top of the hour of the newly crowned WCW champion Booker T. His very first title offense against Mike Awesome. Top of the hour tonight here on WCW Monday Nitro. One other note before we talk about this, this bogus goal record coming out here with three count. We understand that the cat has also removed now Buff Bagwell from the arena because he knows the bad blood between he and Franchise. He didn't want any more of it. He has taken Buff completely out of the picture here tonight. Bogus gold record. They have sales in excess of, I believe, 3.4 million right now with this hit single. Bogus gold record, please. You owe them an apology, and you better apologize to Tank, too. Three Cat is a hot band. I would apologize to Tank in a New York minute, but... It's a gold Come record! On. Colonel Levitt and Did three I count. tell you guys here, three count, that you're the greatest band in rock and roll history? Didn't I? <laughs> well, tonight we're going to celebrate. Yeah, Big Daddy, we're going to have a party. You see, I told you your single was going to go gold, and it went gold. Shut so it, my gift to all you, we're going to hang this record up so you guys can cherish it all night long. Underwhelming response from the fans here, huh? They love three count. Come on. Everybody, three count. One, two, three. Please. Three count. Hang it. Colonel Abbott directing traffic with Evan Courageous. Oh, is that thing going to be hanging all night? Great. I, for one, would love to admire it. That's a gold record. They don't grow on trees. No, you can go to any, you can go to any trophy shop and get a giving one made is what you can do. Wait a second, we've got company. Yes, it's the Young Dragons. And Evan Courageous is put on the top of the ladder. from the ladder all the way down to the floor. This is terrible. This is a legitimate gold record ceremony. And these young dragons are, are making a mockery of it. Why is Cornell Abbott still at ringside? Well, here he comes, Scott, almost on cue. And the young dragon oh! throwing Shannon Moore in. But here he comes. Cornell Abbott, he doesn't seem like he wants to get in there with the dragons on. Oh, Shane, he's taking his time. He'll do what he has to do. See, here he comes, I think. Yeah, you're not kidding. He's waiting on his moment. He picked a spot. No! Jimmy saw. Down he goes. Yang coming in. Oh! Two dragons down. Can't no effect that time. What? What? Good job, that's Moda! Moda! The great Moda's back! He, he spit that green mist in Tank's eyes. That seemed to stun him, and then he, then he kicked him on his back. And they're taking the gold record. Is he with the Dragons? Is great, great Buddha is here. We have heard for so many months that he was coming to WCW. We never saw him. We thought it was over, but he's here. The Great Buddha, the former NWA World Champion, is back, and he's with the Dragons. He is one of the greatest international stars ever, and he's with the Dragons. And commentary are not convinced by their sales success, but you've got to love Tank's willingness to make fun of himself, haven't you? Absolutely, mate. I mean, he's hamming it up for the camera. You just got to love it. Exactly. And uh, I I feel the need to whisper it just in case he's listening to this. I mean, he may not subscribe to the podcast, but he hears everything just like Superman. But only Tank Abbott could make looking ridiculous be this credible, couldn't he? 
Very well said, mate. Absolutely. But you can definitely tell he's having fun. He is having fun. But sadly, the young dragons appear to spoil that fun because Three Count cannot feud with anybody else. But the young dragons have brought an equaliser for Tank Abbott. And it's only the great bloody Muta. I was shocked because uh, in 2023... He's having like a, a his final uh, tour, isn't he? And here he is yeah. in 2000. And it's like, yeah, exactly. this is how they, they brought him back into WCW, re-debuted him. And what a fun feud for him to debut in because it adds um, uh, like a kind of like, um, sort of like a, like a surprise element to the feud. It does. And yeah, I mean, quite a surprise indeed. Uh, I know this man had been flitting between Japan and WCW, but uh, but yeah, they, they did a good job of kind of not telegraphing this. I, I know some people say that they don't want to be surprised in wrestling anymore. And, and some people say that they want to know every single thing that's happening. But give me a surprise either way and always make that surprise the face painted alter ego of one KG Muta, but his misting of Abbott allows them to steal the gold record. So we've got fun times ahead with these gangs, don't we? We really do, mate. And at one point, um, one of the uh, dragons kicked uh, Tank Abbott and he completely no sold it because it didn't hurt. Exactly, because nothing hurts him. But we have found that something has managed to stop Tank Abbott in his tracks. So, Danny, your supplementary Tank Abbott question for the week is, what was the substance in the Great Mooters' mist that could stop the hardest man in the world? It had to be some sort of acid that, that you could put in your mouth. <laughs> Do you think so? I had to be, because if it stopped Tank Abbott, then... I can't think of anything else with that. What about you, mate? What do you think? Well, mate, um, every hero has his weakness. So Batman has the Joker. Superman has Kryptonite. So for Tank Abbott, the great Muta had obviously invented and put together Tankanite. Ah, genius. Yeah, that genius. actually makes sense. <laughs> it's it's green, it's mean, and it stops a punching machine. Tankanite. Get there it we down, go. yeah. We'll have to get that on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> we absolutely will. I'll uh, do a screen grab later. But after all that chaos, Pam the Blonde Slapnut is with Positive That's a Wig Canyon, who also wants a shot at Booker's belt. They're forming an orderly queue, Danny, but it's a decent touch that the Canyon and Booker animosity is kept going, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I loved in this um, interview, uh, you could see the wig falling off of Canyon's head. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. I, I love it's kind of every week it seems to be getting closer and closer towards the back of his head just to further accentuate the fact that it's a fake. I, I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. I also love that they've taken the time to highlight here that Canyon actually beat Booker T at Bash at the Beach. Yeah, yeah, that is a very important. Um, it's very logical, isn't it? Like I, mm. I should have been in the World Championship match because I won the match. So, um, what? So I'll have the next best thing and f face Booker T, the man that I beat last night. It's very, very logical. It is. Also logical is that we're going to have typical Goldberg arriving 29 minutes late. Uh, but this time he doesn't get any response from the fans as he walks through the car park, which makes a nice change, doesn't it? 
it really does, yeah. But as you said, it's very logical and on point that Goldberg arrives uh, halfway into the show. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, Hulk Hogan isn't around anymore, so somebody's got to turn up late, don't they? Of course, or Bret Hart. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. And after this, we do get our second match after the break, as Jeff Jarrett and Billy Kidman square off. And I was quite looking forward to this, mate. They seemed to have good chemistry together, didn't they? They really did. And I love the fact that um, we, we say it every time we do one of these. It's like WCW 2000, like there's multiple stories going on and you don't have to wait long because it was only four segments ago that the Jeff Jarrett versus, um, uh, Jeff Jarrett versus Kidman match was actually made. So we don't have to wait till the end of the night to see it. We get to see it four segments later. I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, it is. They, they, they don't keep you hanging around, do they? And uh, and yeah, it was a really good back and forth contest. Kidman gets a lot of his high flying in. And is it me, Danny, or did WCW use Billy Kidman well, uh, or even better, I should say, than WWF from an in-ring perspective? Absolutely, yeah. They knew um, he could hang with the main eventers. Even You mm. can say Jeff Jarrett's not a main eventer, but... He was at this time. Uh, he could definitely hang, and he wasn't just secluded to a cruiserweight division for years and years and years. He was actually he was in the cruiserweight division, but he was also hanging with uh, big time wrestlers as well. Yeah, that's right. It was it was just a shame that they never like fully pulled the trigger on him really, because um, in two thousand, um, I felt he was ready, and actually during the April fourth reboot. I think it was Mark Madden that comments during a Kidman versus Vampiro match uh, that there would be two people in the US title picture for a long time. And I think you could really see that with Kidman. Like, he, he might have never been a world champion, but you'd always see him in that kind of, like, US or intercontinental title frame, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as he got... Uh, they put on a lot more muscle in WWE. I could, I always struggled to see why was he in the Cruiserweight division even still and not in the mid-card division. Yeah, because he did fill out a little bit, didn't he? Um, yeah. Around the time of his feud with Paul London as well, didn't he? Oh, that fantastic! That's coming to one man's meet uh, soon, Chris. <laughs> it is. It is. Yes, uh, one of one of Billy Kidman's many uh, middling feuds, and at the moment, uh, he does look far away from being the star that he should be, and he's stuck in a middling feud with his shoot girlfriend, who comes out anyway, just as things were looking good, allowing the franchise to get involved. Tori Wilson kicks Billy up the arse before a franchise DDT can only get two. Kidman attempts to rally and counters a powerbomb before Double J converts the Bulldog into the Stroke for the win. And I thought it was quite a cool reversal, actually, from that Bulldog. Definitely, mate. And I love the fact that we're continuing, even though Jeff Jarrett's feuding with Kidman here for this one episode, they're still both um, invo heavily involved in other storylines and feuds. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And it showed when Tori Wilson came out. Yeah, and I think from from time to time, uh, they, they couldn't do it all the time, but I think this is an example of WCW kind of interlocking feuds quite well. So there yep. was this there was this kind of one show feud with Kidman and Jarrett, but they still found time to kind of further extend whatever was going to go on with uh, Douglas and Kidman as well. So yeah, it was it was good. Um, it was well put together, I think. Yeah, definitely, mate. Mm. So after Billy Kidman stamps his job boy bitch card, Scott Steiner proves that no one is safe by beating up Canyon now. So he's not letting anyone get a look in, is he? It's crazy. <laughs> it is. 
So, during the Scott Steiner-Mike Awesome match, I'm given to assume that uh, both people switched because for whatever reason, and I'm sure it's not mentioned at Bash at the Beach, Mike Awesome now seems to be a face. Um, and he's found backstage chatting up a Nitro girl by the name of Beef. And I don't remember this character at all. No, I could not remember. Um, I think she might appear in a future episode. I do remember something uh, where she was ringside and she was hit with a guitar. But right. uh, I didn't recall her name or anything like that. And I f- is this the beginning of the Fat Chick Thriller? Yes, Danny, it most certainly is. We are heading, kicking and screaming towards the Fat Chick Thriller gimmick as one of the most exciting hybrid athletes of the late 20th century now starts to become a joke and this guy just cannot get a break in wcw can he absolutely not no however he does show his virtue by turning down the chance from the cat miller to be gifted the u.s title so i suppose he is a face now yeah that totally solidified him as a baby face because it's like a heel would have just taken a belt and be like yeah i'm the champion but i also found it weird of the the cat who's supposed to be this man of integrity and things like that to just hand a little bit out of character for him uh, to hand the championship over to mike awesome well to be honest as much as i like the character i find that ernest miller does kind of flip between both sides um on the same episode seemingly so yeah i think it's just that whole kind of in his own little way, he's trying to do the right thing here for, for Awesome, but uh, but Mike doesn't want to win it that way, and that's fine. But it's all right, because he's about to get a chance uh, to win Booker T's world title. So, my next question, Danny, is why on earth would you be painting Mike Awesome as some kind of jerk chatting people up backstage when he's going to be having a crack at the big gold belt in the next segment? I've... That's crazy. I mean, yeah, the the very next segment, he's in a he's a world championship contender. I mean, that's yeah, you, no words. No, definitely not. But thankfully, Awesome does make up for the fact that he's just been looking like a jerk for the past two minutes by showing just how awesome he is in the ring. And once again, this match wasn't bad at all. We are three for three tonight. Yeah, a rare uh, week, but. I wrote down um, matches like this. It makes me grateful that Mike Awesome did jump ship to WCW because he was having great matches. To steal Cy Powell's word, uh, barnstormer of matches. I mean, this was brilliant. Most definitely it was. And uh, this is what I loved about Mike Awesome's in-ring style and why it deserved to be seen by more people. Because here he gets to showcase his mixture of athleticism and hardcore skills, including a a thwarted table spot before Booker hits the bookend to return. But yeah, a nice little match and it wasn't even spoiled by any mid-match run-ins as Steiner finds the time to come out after the match to attack Booker and then Awesome solidifies his comedy first turn by making the save. Yeah, and I, I did notice that there was some ECW chance as well in this match directed at Michael Awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> You don't know whether that's meant as a good thing or a bad thing, really, do you? But, uh, uh, you know, give, given the, the the way that he left the company. But, um, I mean, to me, he is somebody that I always find synonymous with ECW. So, uh, who knows? Maybe they meant well. Yeah, let's hope they did. <laughs> <laughs> 
But while all these shenanigans are going on, Ernest the Cat Millet comes out to the ring to first make chaos and then make a number one contenders match for later. Initially a three-way dance between Steiner, Jarrett and Canyon before Big Bad Bill comes out to demand an opportunity, making it a fatal four-way, which could be fun, but I wasn't quite buying the fact that Ernest Miller could kick Scott Steiner's head in. No, not at all. But as he said, he was tired of being disrespected. Mm. Um, I did find it a bit weird that Goldberg could just walk out and just add himself to the match. But in, I guess in the moment, it made sense because it got a huge reaction. Oh, yeah. And I mean, as we know from WWF, WCW, ECW through the years from 1997 onwards, if you're a big enough star, you can just choose whatever match you're going to be in, can't you? Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the things that I was happy for is that one of the most underrated double acts of late WCW got their jobs back. And I'm talking, of course, about Norman, Smiley and Ralphus, who are a real guilty pleasure, aren't they? Oh, mate, they really are. Um, There was something about Ralphus recently where um, Chris Jericho tried to get him as a guest on Talk Is Jericho, but he couldn't locate him. So wherever Ralphus is, we hope he's okay. We certainly do, and wherever Ralphus is, don't talk to that cretin. You're better than him. <laughs> exactly. Do your own podcast. We'll listen. Or even come and talk to us, Ralphus, mate. We'll, we'd love to interview you. Oh, absolutely. That would be brilliant. But, yeah, I mean, that's one guy that I just do wish made some sort of appearance of with all the Chris Jericho segments in the world that WWE have had or AEW have had. You'd think he would have turned up uh, at least once. You would, really. It, it is a shame that they haven't really been able to find him for AEW or anything like that. I think he would have been a, a cool little cameo, you know, when you've got the likes of, like, Raven just appearing in the crowd. If they could just have, like... Ralphus backstage like looking some boxes or something it would have been really cool <laughs> definitely yeah but yeah I'm so glad he's on here indeed so in storyline uh, the cat has given Smiley and Ralphus their jobs back due to Terry Funk's injury at Bash at the Beach and Smiley is training Ralphus to make a run for the WCW hardcore title but this poor lad looks like he's never ran in his life does he no, he doesn't. But he does manage to get just eke out just one push up. I mean, you've got to give him credit for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's real mental toughness in the guy to do that. So he is most definitely hardcore and he's going for the hardcore title tonight, which is currently held by the Pavarotti of Shots to the Body. Old Skull Von Crush himself. Big Vito. And our WCW backstage assault match of the night sees Big Vito defend against Smiley and Ralphus, apparently, in a rematch from Bash at the Beach, it would seem. Now, immediately after this um, taping, I'm going to go and see some uh, WCW backstage assault because I want to see if Ralphus is on the game. <laughs> <laughs> He's at least got to be an unlockable character, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, big time. Do you know what? It's it's a game that I never played and I actually owned it once. Ah, oh, yeah, it's something I don't think I ever played that either, but I've seen little bits of YouTube um, from it and people just pan it, but it actually looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was it was something that um, I actually I owned it as a little curio. I, I convinced myself in the in the mid 2000s that I was going to earn every single piece of WCW merchandise ever made. Um, and then I didn't actually get the internet until broadband was a thing. And then when I realised how much some of those old WCW t-shirts and polos cost, I very quickly got out of that hobby. 
<laughs> no, obviously there'll be a golf balls for Chris. <laughs> Most definitely not, unless they're fifty p each. In 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 which case, yeah, go ahead, get them yep. on, get get them ordered. But one of these days, I am going to have one of those WCW two thousand polos that Larry Z was wearing on Worldwide. Oh yeah, we all want one of them. We deserve it. <laughs> we do deserve it. We do deserve it. And in fact, we deserve our own merchandise as well, folks. So do watch this space because it's something that's in the back of my mind. Brilliant. <laughs> so uh, it's a fairly standard hardcore match, really, with all the usual plunder, which ends when a top rope splash puts Ralphus through the table before Norman hits Vito in the back, knocking him onto Ralphus for the pin to retain while Smiley dances. And I don't know whether the finish was poor hilarious or a combination of both i'll say a combination of both because um it was entertaining it was very different mm. from a standard but yeah it, it wasn't bad no it wasn't and these are the kind of things that you really should be getting on tv wrestling i think not not everything has to be a serious 17 minute you know tokyo dome classic you need stuff like this because people enjoy stuff like this i mean when, when done right, comedy in wrestling can be a good thing. And while this wasn't my sort of comedy, it was a nice little palate cleanser from some of the decent matches that we'd had. And it doesn't do any harm. Absolutely not. And who who doesn't love seeing um, Ralphus hide behind the table? <laughs> oh, I know, totally. That, that was funny, wasn't it? However, guys, I haven't gone soft. Just because I like a little bit of comedy in wrestling, just because I've admitted to liking the likes of Santino Morella, I still hate Orange Cassidy. So don't think I've gone soft on you, folks. He's back. <laughs> He's back. Old Fire Ant himself. Fire Ant's in me fire pants. So the cat decides to take some of his frustrations out on the young dragons. And as long as this angle doesn't drag on too much, mate, this is another fun distraction that I'm enjoying. Absolutely, man. I loved the fact that he just, one man just took out all three. Uh, but I just wondered, where was the gold record? Because they still had possession of it. They didn't display it here. No, maybe Muta was looking after it for a Munoz. Ah, of course. I'm shocked. Well, actually, I'm glad that Muta wasn't involved in this segment because it, it just wouldn't have made sense if he mm. was taken out too. That's it. And it was while I was watching this segment as well, Danny, that I made a little bit of a realisation. So... The Young Dragons, as as most people will know, are Jamie Noble, Kaz Hayashi and Jimmy Wang Yang. And while we joked that Three Count weren't allowed to feud with anybody else, um, of course, Jamie Noble and Jimmy Yang would go on to feud at some points with Shannon Moore and Shane Helms while in WWE as well. So maybe that adage is true. Maybe, yeah. That's actually a very good revelation you just laid there. Yeah. Well, I do have them from time to time. And uh, another revelation that I had was uh, we get the revelation of Charmel version 2 backstage as Paisley is looking for someone to iron the artist's shirt for him. And she only manages to find Angry Alan, doesn't she? Definitely. And this is the debut of Kiwi or Kiwi. Um, well, how do you say his name? Well, it's, it's spelled as if it looks like Kiwi, but he says Kiwi here, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's something the announcers were uh, arguing over as well. 
Exactly. But as we say, Angry Allen has made his debut on WCW Nitro. <laughs> and Danny, guess what? Oh, oh, stone me. He's playing a gay. <laughs> wow. How original of him. Definitely. Um I mean, he's he's somebody that you shocked that didn't make it to WWF. I mean, I think he was in uh, developmental after WCW, but he never made it on the main roster or anything like that. But, no, I, yeah, I, I think he was part of a. Um, they had a WCW stable in um, Heartland Wrestling Association, was it? Uh, yeah, Les Thatcher's thing i want to say it's les thatcher uh but yeah um he didn't get much further than that which is a shame because of course um what's his face was part of it um oh, uh, mike sanders mike mike sanders um lash larue that's what i was thinking of so they they had some good guys down there but for when they started the cruiserweight division up it, it could have been quite cool to see some of these guys on velocity yeah that would have been brilliant Although I have just realised that was a bit of a backhanded compliment to say that it would have been nice to see them <laughs> on Velocity. Uh, but just in the WWE in general, it would have been quite cool, some of the matches they could have had. Yeah, 100%. Another guy um, we also see is um, Lenny Lane here as well, don't we? Oh, yes, we do get a sighting of the lesser spotted Lenny Lane holding a sign saying, use me. No, thanks, pal. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was thinking. I was like... I just okay. didn't get him at all. I really didn't. No, there's a reason he's sitting there using a... I mean, I, this is always uh, something that WWE did later on as well when they have wrestlers showing that they're frustrated with the booking. I, I just... I mean, let us care about you first before uh, you do angles like this. This is why I couldn't get behind Carlito. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Um, I'm, I'm glad you've said that as well. Uh, on my current watch of 2007 WWE, which I believe you once called the most perfect year in wrestling, <laughs> um, he's currently in that odd tag team with Ric Flair. Wow, yeah, that that is a bit of a, a longed-out um, angle for me. It was yeah, very, very long. It, it was basically just an excuse for Ric Flair to tell him off every week before Carlito walked off in a huff during a match, I think, or something like that anyway. Yeah, I mean, it was. I think it was also an excuse to get Tori Wilson in the storyline as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that is true. And everyone's got time for Tori Wilson, haven't they? Absolutely. But hopefully Angry Allen has had the time to do a good job on the artist's shirt as he now needs to contend with the unbelievable talent of Lance Storm. And Charmel version 2 comes out for commentary and it seems that she fancies a little bit of Angry Allen, doesn't she? She really does, yeah. She could be making the turn <laughs> in the future. But yeah, um, she was kind of... Uh, this must have been her first time at commentary. Yeah, and it really showed, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, I mean, credit to WCW because it's, it's, I love the fact that they have not just the main eventers on commentary, they have the undercard wrestlers or they have some some uh, managers and things like the valets and things like that. So, I mean, yeah. it does it does go a long way in the, in the long run. It does. And just like we're expecting a turn from Charmel version 2, it looks like we've had a turn from Lance Storm because apparently, without any kind of warning, he's a baddie now. Yeah, that was kind of out of nowhere, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. almost as out of nowhere as um, 
as uh, the artist using an angle slam as a transition move in this match. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. But again, so much for that much-loved tag team with Billy Kidman as well. Mm. It's a real shame, isn't it? It's such a shame, yeah. What could have been? It was. But we find out here that if it's one thing that people from Florida don't like, it's polite people from Canada. But again... As good as Landstorm is, I do think he's better as a heel. He's got the kind of move set and and demeanour that I think is more suited to people booing him, isn't it? Really, absolutely, mate. And he's just got just even the way he talks, it doesn't really come across as a babyface. If if I've seen him try to be a babyface when WWE tried to make him like a Valvina sidekick, and it just did not come off well at all. It certainly didn't, and um, the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea doesn't come off here as well. I don't know about you, mate. I love the gimmick, but he is rubbish. (laughs) I think it was, uh, if this was given to somebody else, it would have worked out a bit better, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was points, in even in this match, you could tell he just... I mean, it must have been a pain wrestling in that um, get-up for him as well. I mean, just... You could just tell for a lot of his matches, he wasn't into it. Most definitely not. But um, I, I haven't even planned this out. But since you've just given us a little throwaway comment here, which wrestler in WCW would you give a Prince gimmick to? Oh, that's a hard one. The I've... full purple, the daft little beard, the pompadour haircut, the works. Who are you giving it to? Let's give it to Jeff Jarrett. You're, you're going for Jeff Jarrett, are you? Yeah. How, who would you go for, mate? I'll give it to Lenny Lane. No one's oh, going to yeah. know about it, are they? <laughs> It'll just appear <laughs> on Worldwide. <laughs> exactly. It, although, again, given given how Prince looks a little bit come see, come saw, a little bit hotel motel, um, you know, if, if Lenny Lane came around dressed as Prince with a big sign saying, use me, I think you'd have to be a little bit careful, don't you? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I... I am not planning on getting us cancelled, mate. I promise. I, okay. I am. I am a dinosaur of a man set in my ways. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Lance dispels all of Prince Iakea's nonsense, including that baffling angle slam as a transition move to get the submission win with the half crab. And Danny Lance Storm is heading for a massive singles push, but again. Sai will kick my head in if I give anything away. So you're just going to have to keep watching, but it's going to be good. Yeah, can't wait, mate. Neither can I. But we've waited long enough to see Vampiro, who is briefly spotted being all goth in that backstage, before we get tag team action, as our favourite bouncers from the gay bar Chronic face Private Ginger Pubes and Captain Wanker, representing Captain Wanker's Dayglow Stoner Emporium, Danny. I laughed because uh, this week um, our mate uh, Total Steve uploaded a clip of Hugh Morris in WWE and I almost quoted you in the comments, but I didn't want to get in Twitter (laughs) jail for a week by calling him Captain Wanker. So I almost, so instead I was just like, I'll keep that one to myself. Good man, good man. Uh, but uh, I will say to the lads at Look at the Adjective Pod, given that I steal all of your good ideas for acceptable in the 90s, if you want to steal the terms private ginger pubes, major run over your daughter and drive off, Captain Wanker or Captain Wanker's Dayglow Stoner Emporium, they're yours, lads. Have at it. Go on. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, uh, in another revelation from Bash at the Beach, Danny, our boys Chronic managed to get the titles off of the Genetti twins, and Private Ginger Pubes and Captain Wanker's tag match from last week was actually for the number one contendership. Yeah, do you know, I found this this match to be hard to focus on. Maybe it was the commentary by Rey Mysterio. Oh, uh, yeah. But I just, there was something about this. It was like, it was very hard to focus. Like, who was the champions? Who wasn't the champions? Um, yeah. One thing that was for sure was Cronach looked brilliant here. They really looked dominating. They did. Uh, I, I've said it every episode, but these guys were definitely the APA of WCW, weren't they? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, probably. Uh, I mean, just less comedy with these guys, which I don't know. I've hurt them or because they it didn't really have as much personality or funny backstage segments that the fans would love them. But they were no. all business, all business. Yeah, they were, and they they actually looked good together. Um, and talking of looking good, I mean, the the filthy animals come out for commentary. Um, I'm assuming that they're dressed to go to the nightclub. But what in the blue balls was Rey Mysterio wearing? It was very 2000, wasn't it? I mean, all I can think is is that he's picked up Scott Steiner's headdress by mistake and it seems to fit him like a shirt. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, it, it just it looked a bit odd. But yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, I can see why WWE just wanted him to wear a mask in, in uh, without this character because this Rey Mysterio version, this version of Rey Mysterio is kind of like... It's, I don't want to say he's not a character, but he's kind of characterless because he's all over the place for me. Yeah, he is. Uh, I mean, let's just say that um, Rey Mysterio is also part of that Ricky Steamboat club as somebody that really should have never tried to go heel, I don't think, because it just didn't yeah. work for him. No, absolutely not. But there is something that is very interesting. Um, I've just found out that he wrestled in OVW without the mask in just before when he signed to WWE. So I'm oh. desperately trying to find those. They have to be somewhere on the internet. But So WWE made him wear the mask only a few days before his debut. So however long he was in OVW, he wasn't wearing a mask. He was probably using this character, if it was a character. He's kind of... 2000 WCW, so I really want to see that with some size on him. Yeah, it, it might be on um, Internet Archive, mate. I don't know. Yeah, I'll check it out after. Yeah, because I know like there's there's a lot of good OVW stuff on YouTube, but there are massive portions of 2002 that just aren't available, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I've never been able to get any parts of 2004 at all. No, no, me neither, which is a shame, really, but I'm, I'm quite enjoying some of the late 90s stuff at the moment you know with like a a young nick dinsmore and um uh doug basham and all that sort of yeah. thing you know it's well, it's all me. it's all good stuff isn't it yeah it really is mate it is but going back to this match um as you said mate it's it's mostly chronic here um they, they decide to use private ginger pubes as some sort of lawn dart uh, at some point, Jin Drakeno Hare, the perennial one man's meat favourites, come out to wail on the animals before Captain Wanker attempts to perform the deadly I'm a massive wanker and this is going to intentionally hurt you moonsault. Yep, I knew that was coming and well, <laughs> just the usual. <laughs> the usual, but thankfully, Kona Crush makes the save before Chronic hit the high times on Ginger Pubes. But then Captain Wanker makes the save for that, and instead, we get a much worse, botchy, 
finish where I believe they've attempted some sort of powerbomb top rope clothesline combo but end up giving Private Ginger Pubes a concussion instead while they retain the belts. That looked nasty. Was, I mean, that he definitely felt that and 100% a concussion, 100%. Yeah, so I've I've got to say, Danny, even on the show that had Ralphus wrestling, this was probably the worst match of the night, wasn't it? If 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 we're being honest, yeah, I mean, this just felt like Styles clashed all over. Um, just the chemistry wasn't right for these guys, and yeah. it was like who was the face and who was the heel because neither. If MIA were the face, they're not convincing, and if. Kind of got a heel. They're not convincing because <laughs> they were more faces than heels. But yeah, it was very, very weird. It was very weird. But what I do like is that there's loads of teams for the two Bryans to face as champions, including the Genetti twins who come out to uh, to lay them out with the old Lex flexors. And of course, because he's a wanker, Captain Wanker can't pass up the opportunity to hit both of them from behind, can he? No, he cannot, mate. Absolutely not. No. But after all that, here comes Vampiro with a coffin and something to say. He's been through everything and will survive in the darkness where everyone here fails. And I must be honest, mate, I, I haven't seen the Demon Vampiro match uh, from Bash at the Beach in a long time. But it now seems that Vampiro has some kind of weird mind control over him, doesn't it? Yeah, that's something I found weird, but... It was like, I loved the fact that um, the lighting in this and the smoke uh, throughout the arena, it looked really, really good for Vampiro's character and his presentation. It really did. Uh, and again, this is an excellent uh, strength to the bring the spooky back to wrestling campaign. Uh, but Vampiro, I've got to say Vampiro, because it sounds like I'm saying the wrong thing. So, uh, yeah, Va Vampiro tries to set the demon onto Asia because she doesn't understand the difference between good and evil. Before the lights get even dimmer and Sting's music comes on, which is the cue for a guy that we can't quite see with a ski mask on, nearly guaranteeing that it's not really Sting. Yeah, definitely. I mean... There was all these reports that you'd see in, um, from years to come, uh, well, years after this, um, that Sting at this point was not motivated to feud with Vampiro at all. He, want, he, did, he wanted out of this feud, and he wasn't motivated in general. Um, this is all based on reports from people like Dave Meltzer, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. But in a lot of his matches in 2000, they're not 1990, uh, 1995 Sting, are they? No, and this is the thing, I'm going to be very controversial here, I know, but I honestly think that the main reason that WCW dropped the ball with Vampiro here, I know he was featured on TV quite regularly, he was in some good little stables, including our boys uh, Shaggy 2 Dope and Violent J as part of the Deadpool, but the fact that Sting was really unmotivated here and didn't want any part of this feud when, in all fairness to Sting, if it wasn't for Ric Flair giving him everything in that Clash of the Champions main event, a lot of us would also probably be saying Steve who. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, I thought it was a missed opportunity then, and it still upsets me now, because in all fairness, I know Vampiro wasn't the greatest wrestler, but his character work 
was brilliant. And if we had a fired up Sting prepared to do something with this guy, this fella could have easily ended up having a good little WWE run. Instead, his best years were spent in the likes of MLW. And while there's nothing wrong with that, this guy should have gone on to bigger and better things, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well said, mate. And it's like... I think the last time that they could have done something is in TNA because at that point Sting was fired back up again, especially mm. a year or two into um, his run in TNA. I think if Vampiro came in there, they could have had the feud that they should have had in WCW. Yeah, there was one thing in TNA that I always wanted, and it was some kind of alliance between the Sinister Minister, Judas Macias, and Vampiro. I think it would have been awesome. That would have been brilliant. All targeting Abyss and Sting would have been yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it would have been great. It would. Oh, oh, man, I can picture it now. Oh, it would have been so cool, so cool. Yeah. The only thing that isn't cool in this whole bit, though, for me, is Vampiro's music. It isn't nearly gothy enough. Mm, it, it, it's kind of like, yeah, it's it's kind of like more just metally, isn't it? It's kind of like, but it's not. It's I, I can see where you you're coming from as well but it's it's just not like it's not hearing it for me either no it, it's like a, a bad pearl jam b-side for me yeah i mean i think that's what it's based off of isn't it potentially yeah it does sound a, a little bit like something off their first album i mean for me they really should have kept the music he had when he was with the misfits yeah Oh, that was good. I listened to that. There's a great, um, on YouTube, there's a great Natasha Bedingfield with that um, Vampiro song in the mi- mixed up together. I'll send it to you oh, after. Wow. Yeah, oh, man, please do. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. But anyway, uh, Sting or Barry Windham or Jeff Jarrett or Ken Anderson, whoever <laughs> it is who, that's, that's playing Sting, um, he lays about both goths with stinger splashes before we get to our main event as anti mid card Jeff Jarrett, positively Canyon, the big bad booty daddy, and Bill Goldberg throw down. And we get 10 minutes for our main event this week, mate. We are going New Japan style with our timings. <laughs> yes, we are. I mean, how lucky are we? But yeah, um, I love what I loved about this is you've got four bona fide main eventers and you've got canyon and it's a uh, free bona fide main event and canyon and it's elevating talent because canyon's been all over wcw 2000 which we love and now here he is he finds himself in the main event love it mate you have really dug yourself out of a hole there well done <laughs> i i nearly spat my drink out from laughing when you said we have three bona fide main eventers and canyon i thought hang on mate steady on but now that you've explained yourself no you 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 are right um again a guy that didn't get enough of a chance for me to actually show what he could do um and again anyone that's seen his dark side of the ring special a lot of it was probably to do with some of the struggles that he had and mental health is a terrible thing but um Chris Canyon is uh, very much an uh, underrated performer. And again, it is a shame that he didn't really get a fair shake, isn't it? Yeah, great point, mate. As you said about Vampiro, I mean, Canyon is someone is should have done something else as well. His best years are here in WCW. But, like, mm. there could have been... I mean, do you remember uh, those reports that he was using Mortis on house shows in 2003? And yeah, that's right. Wow, imagine that. 
just showing up on SmackDown just to attack Rey Mysterio or something like that, especially with James Mitchell. I mean, something oh, yeah. could have been done with Canyon other than getting beaten just to death by The Undertaker with a steel chair. Something we should yeah. be remembered for something better in WWE. It it would have been cool, you know. We we could have got that that Heard Vanson stable, which included the Sinister Minister, Mortis, but instead we get Boy George in a box, don't we? Yeah, and that is such a shame. I mean that I mean when people think the new fans tapping Canyon on the WWE network, um, one of the main things they'll see is this Undertaker thing. If it's still there, I'm sure it's been scrubbed off by now, but Oh probably. It's like, oh, it's just terrible. But yeah, Canyon, um that's what I mean. I mean WCW was building him here as a main eventer, but he wasn't there yet. But he, I'm glad to see he was hobnobbing with big stars here. Absolutely, and he doesn't do himself any harm in this match as he gets some good offensive manoeuvres in, and he he shows that he can hang with the upper, you know, the upper guys here, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he shows he definitely can belong, and I actually yeah. hope that this continues for quite a while. Yeah, me too. Uh, but uh, sadly, I mean, while he does put a good shift in, it does end up being Canyon that takes the pin to establish Jeff Jarrett as our number one contender to Booker T. But we also start the build-up to Scott Steiner versus Goldberg, who have a really odd but good chemistry together in singles matches. But honestly, mate, you could almost taste that stare down, couldn't you? That had some stink on it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when they just faced each other, the crowd exploded. You could feel the energy. It was like, wow, like, we want to see these two men wrestle now. Um, <laughs> it's a shame that they just only had the uh, fleeting moments here, but it was like, yeah, we want this. Indeed. And we got one of the things that we want coming back to wrestling, which is that we're running out of time ending as we fade to black. But that's Nitro, mate. And I seem to say this every fortnight, but another 90 minutes of fun chaos, wasn't it? It really was, mate. Absolutely. I mean, just I mean, we, we watch this for Tank and things like that, but there's so much good stuff with it as well. Oh, yeah. It's like... Um... I know Rob and Dan mentioned this, and I, I know you've said it yourself when you've been on episodes with them. But actually, I have been watching along with the Tank Abbott matches and stuff for UTT Tank. But mm. I've actually found that I mean, I've I've watched it several times, and I I I always enjoy it. But I'm really enjoying 2000 WCW. Yeah. I mean, it, it was not to enjoy. I mean, yeah. if, even if you compare it to today's wrestling, uh, this is miles better. <laughs> too right it is like everybody's got something and i know that's a popular vince russo trope but literally everybody's got something everybody's got a character sometimes it's throwing thing at the wall and seeing what sticks but seriously the matches aren't that bad they the pacing isn't that bad even the chaotic stuff you can weirdly keep up with it it's just I know probably people are screaming down their headphones at us over this, but flipping heck, just give it a chance. Wrestling's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Whatever you enjoy wrestling for, you're supposed to find it fun. It's a hobby, for goodness sake. Absolutely. Well said, mate. And it's like, you, you're sitting there, would you want to see um, just something that you don't enjoy or something that you just find, even if you find it bad, um, it's still entertaining. 
It is. That's the thing. Take your anger away from Vince Russo's booking of WCW in 2000 and save your anger for something worthwhile, like Hulk Hogan in 1993. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and talking of Hulk Hogan, mate, they've stopped talking about him on Nitro for some reason. I wonder what that's all about. Yeah, I did find that odd. Um uh, that was something, uh, I don't know if we said it earlier, but they kept saying that we can't talk about Hulk Hogan for legal reasons. So I have no idea what that is about. I mean, we'll have to uh, see what happened the night before, I suppose. We'll have to find out what happened indeed, matey. And we will, I promise. It will not be three years, mate. It will be part of the schedule for one man's meet. Uh, obviously, we took a little bit of an extended break on the main show. And full disclosure... I did have a fun plan to do something for season two, but we can come across that at another time, maybe start season two next year, um, and we can reveal our plans then. So, yeah, let's let's make a plan to watch Bash at the Beach sooner rather than later, eh? Brilliant, mate. Yeah, sounds cool. It definitely does. And what would be cool is if you could find it in your hearts to give us and our pod parents follows on social media so for daddy rob and daddy dan you can follow them at utt tank on twitter which is the supplemental twitter account for unbooking the tankatory you can throw us a follow at one man's meat pod on twitter and if you do subscribe to utt tank you can get tank facts for instance danny Tank Abbott tried to buy a WWE, but the WWE board didn't have change for a $10 billion bill. I love that. I saw that this week. That was great. Also, Danny, unlike whatever the old phrase would suggest, Tank Abbott can teach an old dog new tricks. It's true. I mean, that's, uh, Dave Meltzer told me it's true. <laughs> <laughs> also, Danny, the phrase Iron Man match comes from the time that Tank Abbott punched a bronze statue so hard it changed the atomic structure of the metal into iron. It makes completely sense, yeah. <laughs> it most certainly does. Also, mate, as part of his fifth of 12 labours, Hercules was forced to clean up the manure of 300 horses. Tank Abbott once made 300 horses shit themselves. That makes sense. All the sense in the world. <laughs> but, Sherman Tankers, we hope that you're not going to shit yourselves over the fact that we're handing this wonderful show back to Daddy Rob and Daddy Dan. We will be back in the world of Tank shortly enough. But before then, we will return with some One Man's Meat main show goodness. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Stay safe and stay beefy. Meat Cider!